Welcome to another episode of Renegade Troy Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Burgess, professional real estate investor, permaculture and urban farmer, curmudgeon, skeptic, and Keller Williams agent. What is Renegade Detroit Investors? RDI is a local real estate investment and business group that meets monthly at various locations throughout Metro Detroit. This group's about networking and doing deals. This ain't your grandma's Rhea, folks. No sales from the front ever and no smell of stale coffee, been gay, and or disappointment. You know the shit I'm talking about. RDI is also this podcast where once a week I sit down with interesting and successful business people getting shit done, and I pick their brain for your entertainment and hopefully education. And if you enjoy this podcast, help me out, man. Rate it on iTunes, which by the way, I want to give a shout out. 27 people have now rated this podcast on iTunes. All five stars except for one, one four star. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Please continue to do that. That really does help in the iTunes area. You can also like it and share it if you wouldn't mind. If you have any comments or suggestions, go to renegadedetroit.com. If you're interested in attending any of the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash renegade Detroit investors or facebook.com forward slash Detroit investment club. Hit me up on Twitter and or Instagram at Jeremy Burgess or on Snapchat at Jeremy A. Burgess. Somebody got it before me. And as always, on YouTube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit wholesalers. All right, legal disclaimer. In no way, shape, or form should anything that I and or my guests say be taken as legal and or investment advice. We highly recommend that before you make any investment decision or decisions, that you contact a lawyer, an attorney, and or other licensed professionals. Be an adult. Don't fucking sue me. All right. Time for the Renegade Joint Investors Show Quote of the Week, where I pick a quote that sets the tone for the podcast and hopefully your week. And this week's quote is, there are worse things than looking stupid. Sleeping through life is one of them. Laura Preble. I hope I got her name right. There are things worse than looking stupid. Sleeping through life is one of them. And let me introduce you to my guest, Mr. Tyson Gersh. Tyson is a senior at the University of Michigan Dearborn studying psychology forever, apparently. An active member of the Michigan community, Tyson is the co-founder and president of the Michigan Urban Farming Initiative a startup 501c3, 100% volunteer run, nonprofit based in Detroit's North End community that uses urban agriculture as a platform to promote education, sustainability, and community in an effort to empower urban communities, solve many of these social problems facing Detroit, and potentially develop a broader model for redevelopment for other urban communities. Over the past five years, he's led 8,000 plus volunteers to produce 50,000 plus pounds of food, feeding over 2,000 individual city households. That's pretty impressive. He has a strong background in research, and he's worked in multiple labs across several fields, including social psychology, effective neuroscience, animal behavior, community health, and athletics. He's designed a progressive neuroscience-themed curriculum geared towards high school-level students, which he developed during the several semesters he taught neuroscience at Community High School in Ann Arbor, Michigan. His current research interests include decision-making, social context, motivation, and performance. A seasoned athlete, Tyson is a former collegiate rower, triathlete, and high school rowing coach. He's been all over the media, but especially winner of the 2016 Cranes Detroit 20 Under 20. He participated in MCON 2016 and presented at TEDx Eastern Michigan University. Definitely go check him out. All this will be in the show notes. Go to miufi.org, all right? And you can also hit them up on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Tyson Gersh. You can also go to facebook.com forward slash Michigan Urban Farming Initiative. 
You can hit him up on Twitter and Instagram, M-I Urban Farm and M-U-F-I Graham. All right. And I have all the links for the Craig, the Cranes and YouTube and the TEDx and the MCON are in the show notes. Welcome, sir. Hey, hey. Happy to have you on here. So you came on my radar a few years ago. I am very interested in the urban farming, but it was kind of after you got the, you won the uh, 2016 uh, Cranes 20 Under 20, where I really started kind of diving, and that's when I started following you more on social media and looking into it. And you're a very young man, very ambitious, and you set a pretty impressive pace. Um, why don't you walk us through what the uh, make sure I get this right. The cause it's for, I don't know why it's so awkward for me to say it, so I apologize. The Michigan. I just call it Muffy. Muffy. Yep. <laughs> that may be able to help me. Michigan Urban Farming. If I can Initiative. go back in time and sort of like have a conversation <laughs> with myself about how to name something. I would. <laughs> so for the audience, I I have an idea what it is, but for the audience, wh- why did you start it, and what are you hoping to accomplish with it? Um, you know, it started as something very different than it is today. Uh, I think at the time, if I remember correctly, you know, we sort of like retroactively like changed those narratives. But my best impression of what was going through my head at the time was I was working for the Urban Community Oral Health Intervention Project as a research assistant through the U of M Dental School uh, out in Detroit at the Herman Kiefer Building. Um, I was essentially like recruiting a real niche demographic. It was women of color who had kids under the age of five, used services of the WIC office and made less than $10,000 a year. And I was like running these educational modules that were looking at nutritional literacy and oral health. Um, And through that experience, I got like this really sort of like salient and tangible understanding of like what a lot of people's relationship with the food system is Pretty um, piss poor. yeah i mean so that was like some real extreme examples we had uh, everything from like moms coming in with orange fago in their infant children's baby bottles and f- like under the full impression that this was like a good choice right like this is orange juice this is a healthy thing for my kid um just showing this like sort of massive disconnect in the role that like um, you know, lack of education and clever marketing sort of play in um, shaping people's experience in navigating the food system. Um, I also had, at the time, had been working in uh, landscaping just at a residential scale, doing like residential garden installations for a few years and um, just gardening seemed like a really natural sort of like platform to address some of those problems. Um, And so I think the original idea was to create a very small community garden that would, you know, (laughs) feed all of Detroit. Oops. Yup. (laughs) So, um, you know, it started very simple. And I think that's a really important part of our story is, you know, that's like how things get started. If you ever had a clue how complicated, like big, meaningful problems were, um, you'd never try because like, you'd know your efforts are completely in vain. And so um, Muffy was really birthed out of uh, like a lot of like necessarily like naive ambition. Um, And so, yeah, we hit the ground running and just over time sort of incrementally built um, and positioned ourselves around the issues as our um, understanding of them became more complex. And so like the nonprofit became more comprehensive and sort of how it works to uh, address those. Well, let's talk let's talk about some of these problems, because I 
I didn't attempt anything like that, but I actually attempted several community gardens that failed completely, and I just ended up doing everything on my own. Mm-hmm. Turns out I'm not the person to do that anyway, but <laughs> I, I, I say that just because I understand how difficult and challenging and how much work it is to do something like that. Yeah. So, but let's talk about the, the food disconnect. The, um, I call it the false food desert. It's just more like a, it's a lack of knowledge. Um, but you actually studied it. You you worked in it. Um, what what did you see? And I know you gave us that extreme example. Um, what did you see? And how has that changed, if at all? Um, you know, at the time, so again, that was like a real niche group. But I don't think that the sort of like uh, examples there are too far off from the majority. Um, there's a lot of... I think there's like a few elements to it. Um, sure, there's like a lot of like very self-righteous, like indignant articles that have been posted recently challenging the notion that Detroit is a food desert. But um, I personally take issue with them uh, because there is a serious barrier to access for a lot of individuals in Detroit in terms of um, being able to obtain like healthy quality produce. Uh, if you go to like the grocery stores that are like referenced, it's either unaffordable or they're not consistently stocked. Um, travel is an issue. Parking is an issue. Um, it, it really like, there is a lot of Detroit that is still like, uh, what I would consider to be a food desert. Um, but aside from the sort of like physical barriers, I think that, um, like it's complicated. So, you know, some store, like a lot of gas stations will like, you know, they're forced to sell two fruits to be able to accept food stamps. And that's just like bananas and apples. Right. And if you think about sort of like the makeup demographically of what Detroit is and think about the sort of like family history of like uh, cooking and what kind of foods people are familiar with, it's a lot of those that are not available uh, from the gas station or even the grocers. Um, what we've found is that there is just an overwhelming demand that we, no matter how how much land we dedicate to it, cannot seem to supply enough uh, collards, turnip greens, mustard greens, or green tomatoes. Um, and those things are not often available, like quality and in bulk uh, supply. I mean, you really need a lot of collards if you're going to like prepare oh, yeah. these dishes. A lot. It's insane. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, uh, I personally think there's like a major it, like uh, issue with accessing that stuff in the first place and in the quantities that a lot of these sort of like uh, culinary traditions require, you just, you need more than these things are supplying. Um, yeah. I don't know if that answers your no, question. No, it, it does. <laughs> um, do you think, cause this is, it's an interesting mix cause I, I see it too and I haven't studied it, but having lived in Detroit for eight years, transportation is a huge issue. Mm-hmm. I, I could see that. I think that case is sound. If yeah. you can't get to food, then that is a barrier, right? Period and report. Yeah. And you're not going to get on a bus. That's like what for I always try to say. It's just like people keep talking about like the you know people at their like basic level, you know, it's like it's basic consumer psychology. Like I am not going to go ridiculously far out of my way for like things that I really like even if if I really like them, right? You know, people are busy on their day to day and they're just like people get into routines and it is hard to disrupt those routines. 
Um, and so even if like there is a grocery, like we have one, uh, in our neighborhood, I've literally never been to it and I like live <laughs> there. Right. Um, and because it's like, uh, it's like a mile and a half away and it's just like a different, it's like a different world, right? Because Detroit is like very, it's built of a lot of like hyper local communities. And as far as I'm concerned, it's in Egypt, you know, like I just drive to freaking Allen park to Meyer because I go to home Depot there all the time. Yeah. So, you know, people, uh, they like, build in things into their routines and if like you really just have to go like out somewhere crazy it's like it's not gonna happen you brought up a good point because the things i've never had a problem getting rid of ever greens Mm -hmm. pretty much any kind of green even kales to a certain extent like uh, green enough almost right like uh, they'll, they'll they'll roll the dice on that right green tomatoes a lot of people will replace yeah collards for kale they're like yeah close enough right but why don't why don't you think or do you have any idea or would you like to speculate why stores don't sell green tomatoes and I sometimes I will see the frozen five pound packs of some sort of mustard green or something like that. Mm-hmm. But that it, alone is pretty rare. But you, that is a huge part of the diet here. I, I just from from a capitalist point of view, I don't understand why these stores don't sell these things because they absolutely would sell. Um, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with like momentum around a consumer base. Um, I think a lot of people will like accidentally find some things in a place and be like, oh, that's cool. And like sort of casually get it like in order to like justify the the supplying of something. I mean, you really need to be like buying it, right? Like vegetables have like a real short shelf life. Um, and so I think like uh, some of the stores that may supply these things, um, they they aren't like... I wouldn't switch my grocery store because they had one vegetable, right? And so, like, there's there's all these other things that are missing. And, like, I definitely understand and I'm sympathetic to the argument of, like, keeping it local and, like, let's go with, like, smaller-scale grocers. Uh, but And maybe this is just, like, a very millennial part of me, but, like, I am not going to multiple stores for, no. like, my yeah. crap, right? Like, I want it all in one place. Like, I've just – I've not – I'm too lazy. I don't care enough. Like, I just want all my stuff from You're one busy. place. You're busy. Yeah. You're busy. You don't have time to drive around town buying shit everywhere. Like, I love that argument, too, but sometimes I'm like, waste time. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, I shouldn't say that because, like, if I really cared, I would, like, not, you know, like, watch Game of Thrones. You know? <laughs> well, I don't, I've never liked the argument that if you enjoyed something else or you were entertained at all, you should have done X, Y, and Z. And I find the people who make that argument generally uh, don't do much in life either. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think you watch your show and still want to go shop in one place, right? That, okay, so that's a good point. Yeah. People want to make one trip and go. Um, the access as well. What a, Some of the things that, that bother me is food grows everywhere too. Uh, a good example would be mulberries. Literally tens of thousands of pounds of mulberries, and I can't get any of my neighbors to eat them. Mm-hmm. It's like this disconnect from food is is – it's multi-generational too. Like why would you eat it off the tree? It's dirty birds poop on it. I'm like, you have no idea where your food is coming from or how it's grown. If you're worried about that. Also some wild apples, wild cherries, crab apples, things like that. Now this is not food food. This is like very seasonal food. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it highlights a point of the disconnect you were mentioning earlier between people and food and how the food is grown and processed. Yeah, I think that's something that's, um, you know, it's somewhat universal, but it's certainly exaggerated in urban spaces. Um, There, you know, especially in Detroit, you've got people that are just generations removed from agriculture. And even if there is 
a complicated history with agriculture, like a few generations back. The reality is today that a majority of people, not to say that there are not like active like gardeners currently, but the majority of people, um, you know, it's an urban space. Like there is not, uh, there has not been like farming is like a salient part of your everyday, right? Like if you grow up on a farmer in the country, like it is an unavoidable thing, right? And so I think there's that sort of like middle step of like uh, production and processing is really removed from people's lives. And so um, they sort of uh, fall into this habit of being like just consumers, right, of the food system, which makes them more vulnerable than anybody else because they – uh, in my opinion, sort of, uh, by not understanding like the full system and really sort of like having a well-developed framework around how that works and your role in it, um, it makes you particularly vulnerable to like agendas the system might have. Right. Um, and I think that's like something you've seen in Detroit a lot. One of my friends, uh, Elias, he's with, uh, he runs, El, uh, Eli, El, I don't know how you're supposed to say it. Eli T. Eli T. Yeah. yeah. Had him the, on the podcast. Yeah. Oh, no way. Yeah. 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 He's great. But he, um, did some like research out in Chicago, uh, before coming back to Michigan. And he was like looking at, um, like the, the, ex, like, the actual like act of like harvesting and like people's relationship with things that are on a vine and just this like, profound disconnect and like lack of familiar like like they're like that is on a plant i'm not putting that in my mouth yeah and it's just like so there what? could be bugs on it I'm like right ah <laughs> uh, yeah do you do you know you know who picks your food you see any porta potties out there like there's this is real life folks <laughs> yeah but when you're in like an urban space i mean you're very removed from a lot of that right like all the food is something that is like there's like multiple steps that happen without your awareness or like presence um, and so you're only getting this like final end product. Um, and so like understanding the different stages that those products like come in, I think is a really foreign concept for a lot of people. And Mufi, did I say that right? Mufi. Uh, there is no way to There's say no it right. right. Apparently Mufi, which Muffy, is what I call it, is Muffy, like really, Muffy, really Lord. inappropriate if you speak French. Like, <laughs> <laughs> good. I'm definitely saying Muffy now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> now that I know that this was your attempt to solve these problems, how have you attempted to solve them? Initially, yeah. So it started as very just food security focused. Um, I think we branched out quite a bit. Um, so I like to think of the work we do as falling into one of three categories. The first is addressing uh, structural inequality in the food system through the increased access of locally sourced produce. That'd be our farm where we grow over 300 varieties of vegetables, um, which are either uh, specifically like culturally relevant produce that people in our community have expressed a direct interest in, or we've just sort of tracked over time that there's huge demand for something. And then like really weird, unusual stuff that like you wouldn't get at even the schwankiest Whole Foods in the fanciest suburb, um, just like really weird produce, uh, which tends to be really good at sort of like introducing discussions about the food system like you show somebody a purple carrot for the first time and yeah, they're I like that. i don't get it it's like well let's talk about you know what market forces play like like we're sort of shaping your like experience of the food system to lead you to think that carrots were only orange and this big right and like uh how your role in that can maybe change and like what do you actually like um so that's like that first category 
second category is driving innovation in blue and green infrastructure through the piloting of cost competitive models for blight deconstruction. Um, it's really sort of like geared towards the so the number I'm working with. I'm sure it's not relevant or like accurate anymore, but the 80,000 blighted properties in the city of Detroit, um, the in sort of like combination with the uh, Detroit Future City framework, which is a um, like a color coded map that essentially uh, has um, it's supposed to like guide development in the city for the next 50 years. And like all the major funders and foundations are on board with it and essentially like designates like land use uh, typologies for like all of Detroit. Um, and in it, they've identified at least two of the colors are, uh, I don't know if they're actually blue and green in the map, but uh, it's blue and green infrastructure, blue being like water focused things like a retention pond or a bioswale. Um, then green being like an urban farm or a carbon forest. Um, and sort of trying to uh, marry the two of those, the need for this like implementation of this development plan, along with the um, reality that like this plan, you know, it shows all these examples of what these uh, land use typologies can be. But all of them assume that you're starting with a blank slate. And the reality yeah. is you've got 80,000 blighted properties like trickled throughout the place. Um, and leveling the city is problematic uh, in a whole bunch of ways, both uh, like economically, we're spending, you know, ten to $20,000 per blighted property to demolish them. I mean, as all materials go to landfills, there's a lot of like ethical sort of um, pitfalls in who the contractors are that are doing oh, yeah. the work. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, the whole process sort of begging for uh, optimization. And it takes a long time, you know, like once something's been identified as a demo candidate, it's just a very bur bureaucratic process. Um, and at the end of the day, like all of these resources go into just um, like neutralizing a problem and it, and you're not actually necessarily adding value, right? You're just removing like a negative um, and by like immediately sort of like repurposing existing urban infrastructure and like making use of the built environment, um, it's, you know, we can sort of skip that step where we've just sort of like made more vacant land in the city, which the city doesn't need more of. Yeah. More vacant land. Yeah. I mean, I think like depending on who you ask, right. I think right now the, uh, the city's agenda, they, they think that sort of this blank slating is the, the most like cost productive strategy because it makes it more palatable for developers to like offer large tracts of contiguous vacant land to do larger scale development on, which I, I like understand, uh, like ideologically, but I don't think it's, I, I think they have in effect turned themselves into the biggest speculators and one of yeah, the biggest problems absolutely. in the city. Yes. They are the ones holding all of the land. Uh, they're, they're like keeping it out of the hands of the community that are, have, that are here. They are actively, ready to do things. Actively. Right. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. We are like, uh, it is like the story of the nonprofit, you know, that there's just like, we can't have portions of our land because some theoretical person that does not exist may at some day, like at some point want it to do who knows what with. Meanwhile, you've got like an entire community of people mobilized who have like a demonstrated track record of like hauling ass and actually making things happen that that benefit the city and the community tremendously across a wide variety of domains. But you're like, I think the issue is that uh, a lot of these like larger developments like the light rail have been privately funded. And so the city is sort of like beholden to those uh, the agendas of those private funders and creating like a strong return on that investment by them. And they're unwilling to sort of um, 
consider doing anything sort of progressive, right? Like they're not interested in like modern development or progressive like development. They they want to rebuild the same city that we had and that we that failed, right? Like in the post-industrial age, this this sort of like highest and best use like starting can cookie cutter housing like model it does not work anymore um and there's i don't know it just it seems very weird to me no you said something at um what was it at? you were at mishcon or mcon 2016 you said and i happen to agree with this our biggest hindrance is dated models of development mm-hmm. and i think that's really where you you nailed that you know you nailed it right there right so your traditional city, it's all based on tax revenue, right? And you're projecting the future based on tax revenue, and you're putting in infrastructure based upon tax revenue. It's based upon a system of growth, mm-hmm. right? And then you end up with a culture that eventually government fails almost completely. People flee, and now you have a self-perpetuating cycle. And all it appears they want to do is try and just bring more people in, and just try just whatever they can do to get the most amount of tax dollars in. Obviously, I think there's a bias towards solving one big problem instead of 3000 small problems or, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they like, we're doing and, it again. We're, yeah. we're literally, <laughs> we're literally going to do it again. And I actually wanted to ask you how you thought you might be able to change even small parts of it, or maybe even all of it. Cause this is something that's, on my mind how how do we solve this problem so that sort of brings us to the third category of what yes. i think the nonprofit does i know that was like weirdly good leading into yeah, <laughs> well played <laughs> um so and i'm like i haven't been i'm not that well rehearsed at exactly how i say it because it's sort of this like newer thing i'm realizing we're doing and sort of realizing that it's probably the most important thing that we're doing but um, I like to think of it as like challenging like traditional development models and sort of like trying to drive forward um, green infrastructure centered development. Um, you know, there are there is this like overwhelming um, sort of like wave of uh, these new sort of development models that are that are you know they're residential, um, but they they're they're called like agrohoods, right? And you see them like all over the country now. There's a really good one called Serenby out in Georgia. Um, this guy like they they is something like a few thousand houses were built. They sold all of them within 48 hours. The whole thing is built with like a farm in the center, and it's all people opting in. Like we want to live in this, so we are willing I to pay that. a yeah. shitload more for this. Um, the like average price of a house in that development is $700,000. And if you take like one step out of that development into the almost identical housing that just is not sort of like tied in with this urban farm or like, I guess suburban farming, um, like the price drops to $400,000. I think, you know, it's like housing adjacent to Central Park is worth a gajillion dollars more than like housing adjacent to more housing. Um, and I think we really need to like what we're really trying to do is demonstrate that like in a truly urban setting, um, agriculture has like enormous relevance above and beyond the production of food. You know, it is it's about strategic placemaking and building communities that people actually want to live in in an age where people have the luxury to be picky. Right. I mean, like location matters less professionally um, and matters more like on a personal level. Uh, people are picky. They they want what they want. I want to live in close proximity yeah. to transit and have my house, and I want a view of an urban farm. And I'm I'm literally just like not going to settle. 
right? <laughs> and like that is like the view of my generation. Like we we know that we can make these things happen, and like we're just not gonna like. Nobody wants to live next to more houses. Like it's so lame. Um, and yet, like the city seems to be just hell bent on like dense, crappy housing. Like development. all in on it, just it's, all in every opportunity they get. More, just uh, it's, and, do you have room for more? You know, and it's like it's like they've gotten so many people to drink this Kool Aid into believing that this is the priority, right? Like, like nobody's questioning whether or not this is a good thing. It's like, oh well, of course this is what we need. If we don't do this, like the city will die. And it's like, no. This is not what the city needs. Like what you're setting it up for is just more failure in the future. Like this is a short term strategy where maybe you're going to make like a few rich people happy, but like you're going to tank everything in the future and have a bunch of like disillusioned citizens that are like opting out of the American dream because you're just giving them reasons to hate everything, you know? Well, to a certain extent, it's just because everybody gets all political about too, but it just you can break it down to a math problem. I cannot see mathematically how their fix, their attempt to fix it with the old thinking will work. Like if you just, it it may work if you divorce it from the rest of the city mm. and you just cast out large parts of the city or people. That's what they do. That's so. That's the my issue with this highest and best use yeah. thing is they they seem to like be incapable of understanding how different land uses interact with one another yeah. and the sort of like, uh, like a impact of adjacent, like green space, right? Like they're, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just like, Oh, we can't monetize that. So too bad. And Oh, by the way, we're not going to come down this road anymore. And by the way, you're not going to get X, Y, and Z anymore. And right. yeah, now it works. Yeah. Like, okay. Do you mean now that you've thrown out half the people it works? And well, you say you want millennials? Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Well, these are the same people that bitch about millennials and you ask them what they're doing and they've done nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so, so in the words of Jeremy Bird, just shut your whore mouth, you know, works for me. Put, put it, put your, put your money and your time where, where your mouth is. I found millennials to be, you know, very active in things, whether I agree or disagree. I don't find mm. I don't find different numbers of people doing things. They're just younger than me. That's all. Yeah. And I was younger too at some point in time. And at some point in time, I'm going to be old. So <laughs> one of the things that that annoys me too about this this development is the lack of flexibility to to test new things. Mm-hmm. For instance, for the listener, um, in the northern hemisphere, it makes a lot of sense to have south facing homes have some sort of greenhouse or some sort of solar sink in it angled for the winter sun and against the summer sun with maybe some deciduous trees in front. So during the summer, it blocks some of that heat. You don't necessarily want that heat sink in. Things like that that would actually make sense that could reduce the amount of fossil fuels we need for heating and cooling. Best practices that other countries have been practicing for a long time. In some cases, thousands of years, right? It's Mm -hmm. not exactly cutting edge. Like half of it's just been done uh, time and time again. And And, and sometimes it's the only way people will do it because it makes so much dang sense. Yes. (laughs) And and the colder it is, the more sense it makes to do this, Mm -hmm. right? And the resistance to this is just everywhere you you can't even get it a half inch so but you are actually trying to build something what you are focusing a lot of your efforts now uh, i think you were calling it your headquarters or i might might get the terminology wrong right i just make things up (laughs) (laughs) so you're you're actually trying to you're going to do an experiment why don't you so currently um sort of like those three things are all tied up into um this two block space that we are like concentrating all of our efforts on. Um in it we have like a dozen to separate projects. 
uh, but the the sort of like point is for them to all work in tandem with one another. Um, on site, we've got an old apartment complex that we're converting into a community resource center, uh, top floor administrative, second floor educational multipurpose, first floor commu- uh, a commercial kitchen. And then we're doing like an, a build out, uh, like an attachment, kind of like townhouses, like attached greenhouse, but like okay. a way poor version of it. I like the sound of that. Uh, yeah. I've been trying to figure out how to kind of like hack my house and get right? one. So uh, this <laughs> will be interesting. Yeah. Um, and so in that, we'll house a for-profit farm-to-table um, restaurant that's owned by the nonprofit. I guess cafe. Um, the goal there being to create revenue stream for the nonprofit long term and to really tap into that value added product market. Um, side rant: there seems to be there's this like false narrative, but like in the urban ag community and in the world, and I, you know it makes sense why it exists because people really don't understand how like food production works. But that like with an urban farm, you can like create jobs and like make money, and it's oh just my like. God false like, these are the same people false. that won't pay 10 cents more for a vegetable and they go oh, you can make all this money selling your vegetables i'm like no mm-hmm. <laughs> you need a lot of land if you're gonna do that it's just people have very sort of like postcard understandings of agriculture yeah. it's like a tree a fruit tree oh so that makes enough fruit to like do you know nobody has any idea like about what yields are and like what kind of costs go into things um and like it's fine right like this is america our food system exists on subsidies and that's okay because everybody gets fed and that is a great thing it just means that like as an industry there is not a lot of like economic opportunity for the little guy uh especially like little uh like startup farms right like that's just not a uh like a a uh effective route to like self sufficiency if you're trying to participate in like the world which is or at least america which means you need to have money right or just grow vegetables and for those listening um farming is heavily subsidized to tune of billions of billions of dollars but it primarily goes to corn wheat and mm-hmm. soy which then of course that really pushes the price down on those things and then they end up in a lot of processed foods this is what he's talking about in fact practically everything you eat has corn, wheat, or soy in it in one way, shape, or form if you open a box or open a can. So, yeah, that and I mean, if you look at the actual like statistics, like it's something like 80 something percent of all the subsidies go to like, you know, one percent of the actual yeah. like existing companies, right? They're the big ones, and I get it, that makes sense, that's fine. Um, but like if you look at small scale ag, it's I forget the actual it's between 80 and 90 something percent of small scale farmers are not like making their primary income from farming. Right. Like it's it is not a lucrative business. It is not something that you can really like limit like that is not where your well-being can come from. Like you have to have backups. It's either they have like uh, uh, they're married to somebody who's got like a job that makes money or they've got another job and it's sort of like a glorified like hobby farm even though it takes way more than a hobby ever should yeah that's true that you just defined my life perfectly right there yep. why do you think i'm doing this we talked about before the podcast but my goal is to have a fifty thousand acre permaculture farm at some point and the reason it needs to be so big is it takes a lot of space and a lot of time to put these systems in place and it takes a lot of upfront investment. And when my friends are like, why don't you just go do that now, Jeremy? Well, you can get pretty skinny the wrong way really fast doing mm-hmm. things like that. So 
excellent point. Yeah. A lot of people just don't know. They say, oh, you sell your vegetables. Yeah, not not really. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a trigger for me at this point. Yeah. It's like, oh, so you sell your vegetables to fund the nonprofit? Like, I will kill you. <laughs> like, no, it is not that simple. And don't think that yeah, you you've been hearing it for it. years, probably yeah. just over like and my, over like, again. Biscuits bread. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, you know, I'm glad you said that because I didn't think about selling it until you just said it right now. Yeah, I'm going to go do that tomorrow. I should try Sarkadi. <laughs> I know. It's it, like people have. So? Uh, what? Sometimes it is like insulting <laughs> the like ideas some people pitch like do you think that i have just been like like literally not thinking yeah. for the last five years i just haven't done anything i just no i'm just <laughs> doing it so so you're, you're trying to multiple ways to try and generate income get a get a cafe going yeah so like on this like larger sort of like development um so we've got like our farm uh it's about an acre uh it's very very dense uh like crop Hat, like situation happening i mean we're doing i think we average like twenty thousand pounds annually That's although we amazing. just like pulled the whole thing up to like redo it for this irrigation yeah. system so this is gonna suck but in terms of like our square foot like yield we're doing pretty well um we've also got a blighted home that we just deconstructed um we're gonna be essentially like applying a membrane like that line x truck liner stuff onto the uh like surface of that foundation and converting it into like a rainwater harvesting cistern uh which we've got like it's a in a nutshell, it's got like a built-in like sanitation feature and like a motor. It's all controlled from your phone and essentially supplies like a drip line irrigation system throughout the entire farm, uh, benefiting us to get off the grid, benefiting the city to reduce or like mitigate stormwater runoff, which the city's like combined sewer system is simply like too old and lacks capacity to deal antiquated, with currently. Completely antiquated. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's ancient, right? It was and ineffective. amazing yeah. when it was built, right? And now it's, like, too big to redo. Yeah. Like, there's just, like, no way. But, like, nobody does combined sewer systems anymore because, like, it rains and all of a sudden you've got, like, poop coming, like, out your drain. Yep, it's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> People, if you're not friends. So, in Detroit, basements, depending on where you're at, especially on the east side, and it's more it's it's a bigger problem in certain areas and also happens in madison heights and some places and the big flood two years ago but when when you have all your sewers and your stormwater connected and it rains four inches which it doesn't do often but every once in a while it does then you get a basement full of shit and stormwater which is not nice right yeah <laughs> it's problematic in a lot of ways and nobody does it anymore and when you have a city that's 140 square miles and it was designed that way that's what it means it's too big to replace what the fuck do you do mm-hmm. when you built it like this and it's huge and everywhere how do you undo that so and some like one approach is to find ways to like hold water from going directly into the sewer lines. Uh, and that is what we're doing yeah. um, with that guy. We've also got what else do we have. We have uh, another structure that we are uh, we partner with General Motors on deconstructing down to the foundation. Similarly, it's uh, just a uh, crawl space, not a full basement, but we're popping sauna tubes into the footprint of the crawl space and like putting a home built out of a shipping container uh, onto it. We're like floating it like an island in the center and then connecting it to the existing foundation with a wooden porch uh, value there being like the two thirds of the cost of demolition come from removing existing utility lines and uh, basement foundations. Uh, and it's kind of like hard to reuse foundations without doing like a lot of like uh, damage control and like you just do like a ton of load bearing work. Right. Cause they get damaged. Yeah, absolutely. Them. Yeah. But uh, the like restrictions are like red tape surrounding um, like what livable space can be put on is, is pretty thick. 
But if you just can like use it as like a wooden porch, all of a sudden there's this, like all this tape is removed, right? <laughs> and so by floating it in the center, right, like we've just like cut two thirds of the costs out and had like have a great wraparound porch. Um, and then at the end of the day, you know, we're like it's a house that is uh, costing to to build about the same amount of money that it costs to just tear one down. But like we're tearing one down and turning it into a functional house in the same motion. Um, you know, it's the goal. It's a pilot, right? It could suck to live in a metal box. But if it doesn't suck, it means that the uh, two, or what is it, three quarters of the uh, people that live in our community, the North End, are renters. So they don't have like an equitable stake in the future of our community. They're the first ones to get displaced. And it's often just because like nobody can afford to buy a house. Or if they can, you know, they end up buying these hundred year old giant multifamily uh, houses that are, have no updates and they're, you know, they're in rough shape. So you have to be like rich or really skilled in order to like modernize it. And even then you're still sort of like trapped in the cycle of poverty, paying like outrageous utility costs. Um, and if you actually look at who those renters are, it's often just single senior citizens occupying an entire house and they don't even want to live in a giant house. Right. And so, uh, by creating these like shipping container houses, they're small, manageable, you know, but at 20 grand and being fairly close to off grid entirely, um, that that is like economically accessible. Right. And it is not going to have enormous ongoing maintenance and operating costs. Um, and so, I mean, I think it could be really promising. We have the whole thing built already. It's been held up for the past year as the container home sits in the Detroit Hamtramck assembly plant because the land bank won't give us the deed to the property we bought. Yeah. Yeah, we paid them for it, and they literally just won't give it to us. I'm it's, definitely going to come up on that. Because, it's oh man. so... It's mind-blowing. I feel like a lot of your success can be attributed to, like, finding bureaucratic hacks. Like, you just, like, <laughs> wait, it's like, no, this is stupid. I'm going to, like, and you you just keep working until you find some way where they, like, defeat themselves and you move on to part two. And then it starts all over again, like Groundhog Day. Would that that's accurate? strategy yeah. with this. Like, they will give in eventually because it's that this is a dirty administration yes. and they will make mistakes. And I will, until I find them or until they make them, if they haven't, I'm certain they have. Uh, like, we'll just catch them and like force their hand. Well, I can certainly help you out with that. I talk to people all the time, and there's been multiple people who have had their properties taken by the land bank oh, and yeah. weren't even notified. They tried to do that with us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we actually, the, uh, the retention pond cistern one that I just talked about, uh, we, uh, they tried to illegally demolish the house uh, with 16 hours notice uh, after months of us being like, Hey, so we feel like you guys are trying to demolish our house. Are you <laughs> uh, like calling all no, the departments? Man, no, we're good. It wasn't until we like submitted an actual FOIA request that like after countless unreturned phone calls and emails, you know, the, like one of the lawyers from the like outsourced firms like sends an email being like, we're demolishing it in the morning and it was like <laughs> an email uh, i will kill you yeah like no like, all right you strap yourself to the building thank you, you. file six <laughs> restraining orders i'm gonna go down to the city you know you strap this is plan this is plan b i mean Z. and they make you they put you yeah. in these situations and like that sucks is that you know for for me uh because i get to spend like all day every day dealing with this kind of thing like i have the luxury of being like you strap yourself to the building and like, I'm gonna go do this and you do that. Uh, but like for the typical resident, I mean, you know, they, they assume that people aren't going to have the like wherewithal capacity or ability to like even 
respond right they're right they most do. of the time i know yeah. i mean like if i had a job i mean like we would You'd be uh, screwed yeah or i'd be fired right and it, it just sucks that they they continue this sort of agenda um and they're just they're really i mean they're very strategic about controlling the narrative like if you, you like read or hear any of the media that they are sort of are the propaganda i'll say that they are no it's totally propaganda yeah i, know. I mean yeah. they, duggan <laughs> loves urban agriculture duggan is all about community look at this yeah. like look at how we're helping the people and it's just like you guys are the problem so i actually work with um a community group in the north end called north end neighbors um, and it's a very sort of like organically formed neighborhood wide block club. Um, and we partner with like a, a, a church that brings in like, uh, like volunteer groups from out of state on like mission trips. Um, and this year what we did was we like went around to like tons of residents and we we're like, all right. And this is all sort of sprouted by the land banks, like increasingly uh, aggressive agenda <laughs> to steal everybody's yeah, property. Yeah, that's exactly what they're doing. And it was the like, land right, grab. I know it's disgusting. And like we we're like, all right, we know the land banks are asking you because your grass is over eight inches tall, right? Like, like give us all of the external like uh, uh, house repair and maintenance jobs that you need that you need, and we are going to like put these volunteers on it. Coalition, you're putting right. together a neighborhood coalition. And so um, we we received over uh, so. So it's well over a thousand requests. Um, I've processed about 850 of them so far. And what's really interesting, you know, so people identified what they felt was like a danger in their area and like what was especially out of control that they'd really like to see change like on their street. And uh, uh, two thirds of those properties are actually city owned. Thank you. Yeah. So the, the largest owner of blighted property in the city that they complain about and unkempt land. I mean, it, they don't how mow can lawns. They, they don't do any of this shit. How can they harass and like rob people of their property using a lot of standards? elderly people too? By the way, I want to yep. hit all the buttons, folks. Stealing from thing. fucking old people. They just did it to one of our neighbors yep. who's in a nursing home right now. Literally, and, like her her house is her family's legacy and they stole it from her. I mean, there's actually like class action lawsuit in the works, uh, like suing the land bank. And because it's like, I don't remember all the exact details, but it, it is illegal to take somebody's house without at very least compensating them. Yes. Like, and they're not even doing that. Right? Actually, let me take a second here. So, okay, folks, the Detroit land bank is a pseudo quasi private government <laughs> organization that is supposed to be a nonprofit and the idea behind this institution, they didn't copy other land banks. Like there, there's more successful land banks that did, that did things differently. And they use an administrative process to, um, to, in their eyes, this is, this is their point of view, to force property owners to improve the property to standards or codes or um, basically give it to them. Now, when you say it like that, it sounds, oh, that's not so bad, right? Except the process is administrative, meaning you're not actually served. Like, like for instance, if I want to garnish your check and you don't pay rent, I actually have to physically serve you. I have to have you. There's there's things I have to do in order to do it. If a bank wants to foreclose on your property for non-payment, they have to go through a judicial foreclosure process. They, you actually have to be served. Attempts have to be made. This is basically done. They put hundreds of addresses on one filing they go nail it to the door. They mail it to a couple addresses, last one on file. They usually only give you a week or two to respond. They uh, don't it's get actually a, 72 hours. 72 hours. And it's one meeting on a Friday with a judge, and they don't give you a time. So you have to go down there and just sit. And I've gotten several old ladies' properties off 
just by calling and saying, I think you did this by error. She was never served. And then the problem was solved within 48 hours. So this is what we're talking Better about. Better experience here, than what we had. Yeah. They, I don't want them confusing this land bank with other success, more successful land bank. Um, yeah. There's this is like very a wide different. variety yeah. of land banks. Uh, you know, it is not uncommon for a land bank to be created, like not for community development, but for like mass land acquisition yes. and control by the government to like serve a private agenda. Uh, I, I've spoken to a lot of people about this. And I mean, like a lot of people have issues with land banks because a lot of them are used like leverage like very this. like yeah. unjustly. Uh, but yeah, ours is like pretty bad. Yeah. I would probably, it's probably going to be the worst in true Detroit fashion. We're going to be number one. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> What so you because you had to get this land right? Your nonprofit had to acquire this land. You've learned this by trying to acquire and expand more land, which supposedly that the whole point of the, the way they set up the land bank was community leaders were going to be in charge, right? We were so excited when the land bank got created because everything it said it was supposed to be was exactly what we needed. Yep. And the land bank has hands down been the single largest problem for our nonprofit. And uh, many residents would say the like largest problem they have with the city and in their personal lives is the Detroit Land Bank Authority. No doubt is I just want to just give you the mic now to as much as you want to pontificate on this from start to finish, because you are in a unique situation where you have the time, you have the knowledge, you have the expertise, you're driven, you're a hard worker. And uh, it's pretty obvious you don't give a fuck watching you on your page, right? So yeah, you were in a, they picked a fight with the wrong dude, really, when it came down to it. So <laughs> I don't think they see it that way yet. But <laughs> I don't know if they realize it yet. I don't think they they understand like the lengths that. Yes, yeah. you're committed. It's pretty obvious yeah. you're committed at this point. <laughs> There's no opting out for the easier path. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, so like the way we initially got to our location was, uh, we purchased our apartment building in the, uh, Wayne County tax auction. We got it for $5,025. We won it by five bucks. We're outbid on all the other things we were like maybe thinking about. It seemed like fate set us there. Um, after we purchased that, we were highly encouraged by the city of Detroit, uh, planning and development which owned all of the uh, like vacant and adjacent property to us to uh, file for adopt a lot permits and start taking over that land. I mean, it was they, you know, you guys should do this here. You do this. This gives you right to be here. And if you can demonstrate good stewardship over a number of years, you will be first in line to purchase it. This will be your land if you put the work in. Sounds like a great idea. It's uh, yeah. I mean, like from any any perspective, earn right? it. Exactly. Go earn it. Go do what you say you're going to do. And so today, you know, like in the state of Michigan, a volunteer hour is valued at twenty two dollars and like ninety seven cents. We've had over eighty thousand hours of volunteer service invested into that, which is about two million dollars worth of of um, investment. Um, we've had numerous individuals purchase properties specifically because they wanted to live near the farm. Um, I recently did a survey with all of the individuals who I knew bought property because of us. I, I even asked just to like make sure that they were uh, who I needed, you know, that, that the, the information they were going to give me was going to be relevant. I said, would you be here if the farm wasn't here? Would you have bought property in Detroit 
if it was not for this farm. Yeah, dude, you're a fucking nightmare for these people. <laughs> and so I asked them, and then if they, they said uh, no to all those, I said, all right, how much did you spend to buy your house, and how much have you spent since you bought it on rehab and, like, general investment in the area? Damn good questions, dude. And so collectively, um, between, I think it's about a dozen individuals, that's about $2 million as well. And so if you want to talk about, like, earning it, right, and, like, yep. good environmental stewardship in addition, like, that's $4 million dollars of investment that we've brought just like tangential to the nonprofit right but because of the nonprofit um you know we've created something that is on countless uh media publications i mean we've just been in like way too much media it's like literally overwhelming um but i mean we've effectively become a like major tourist attraction as well as like a really valuable resource for the community i mean we did what they said and uh without our knowledge they transferred all of our land to the land bank authority um and we didn't find out about it until our district manager vince keenan uh, was and by the way, the district managers are uh, not democratically elected individuals. No. They are uh, appointed through the Duggan administration. Actually, Keenan attempted to be on uh, run for city council uh, in a different district where he actually lives, and he failed. Uh, and then he was appointed to uh, manage a district that he has no relationship to ours. Um, and he called a like college friend of mine i think his goal was to keep it out of writing but uh i we never found out until like my random ass friend from ann arbor calls me and he's like hey so i just started vince keaton and he wanted me to tell you that you will never own your property there's nothing you can do ever to own it um and if you do not agree to go quietly uh that you will never that you will cease to exist entirely wrong answer dude <laughs> yeah and i was just like all right well, I'm not taking this seriously because are you joking me? Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. And uh, it's sort of like evolved more dramatically since then. And a lot more sort of like unethical things on their end have happened to us. I mean, everything from uh, assigning us $5,000 in blight violations for putting our trash out on bulk pickup day. It's like literally we're like we're clearing out like these spaces that have like accumulated enormous amounts of debris and like doing what the city says to do following procedure. Um, and I mean, their goal is, you know, if you've been successfully um, convicted of like a blight uh, uh, charge or what a, a blight violation, then the land bank uh, is not allowed to sell you property. Yeah, it's dirty as fuck. It's man. very. And so yeah. they have been trying ruthlessly to apply one to us. So they've failed every time. Uh, actually, the woman who assigned them to us, the officer quit. Uh, and uh, she, I, I'm not going to. I shouldn't go too much into detail on this, but I, I do have information from a reliable source that she was specifically asked to sign us these blight violations and she never would have otherwise uh, by an individual with an agenda in the situation. Yeah. Uh, just some very dirty politics. Um, I mean, they've tried to demolish all of our properties on different occasions and all in like illegal ways. Um, and at the end of the day, I mean, like all we're saying is like, give us, let us buy our land for fair market value. It is our land. It is not your land. And yeah, sell it to me for fair market value. Right. We'll pay more than fair market. Give us a motherfucking price. Like that is all we're asking for. Yeah. Um, so it's just been like really frustrating and, uh, yeah. It kind of looks like you're fucking winning though. Like it's, I hope that's the, it's uh, a campaign, (laughs) right? Like this is a campaign. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it, 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 it's swinging the other way. You got the feds looking, 
at the land bank now. You got the state looking. Oh, meanwhile, I mean, they, the they're bank. like, oh, we have nothing to hide. And they produce this like stupid little like yeah. demolition map, which I mean, if you actually look at it, it's like, oh, here are the areas that we give a shit about and want developers to have. So, oh, magically, we're doing all of these demolitions here and we're doing them in illegal ways. And it's also inaccurate. They get on it. They said, like, all of our shit was, like, demoed. And it's like, actually, no, it nope. wasn't. This map is a lie. <laughs> and you're sitting still here. Still here. I'm still here. I mean, it's, it's, it's really bizarre. They're just, I guess that's what you call, like, really good marketing, right, is they, they will literally lie to your face. Absolutely. And if they, yeah. I think if they... There's this like, you know, it's like the social contract theory that, you know, we assume people are not like, especially the government is not going to literally lie to you, you know. So we're like, oh, maybe it's not so bad. OK, it's fine. This is what made Americans Americans. I don't know when we became sheep. But when <laughs> I talk about this with most of my friends, they look at me like I'm fucking crazy. Really? They literally look at me. And I remember when they're like, oh, OK, the land bank's going to have this program. And if you work for the land bank or your family member of the land bank or you're a friend of somebody who works at the land bank, the you can get the property 50%. Bill. I'm like, why the fuck would you ever do this? Like, don't do that. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. X, Y, Z, there's all these problems. It, you, it's also like you're incentivizing graded. corruption. You're literally I know. I know. incentivizing it. And everybody's family like, members of government. Employ- you're I mean, just being negative. Oh, I'm like, oh, my God. This no, is, this is like a religion, the land bank religion. The government could do no wrong. There's not personal interest in government. Like, well, who- and that's actually a really interesting point. I mean, if you talk to, so I think uh, the land bank has a ton of internal problems. Do not get me wrong, but one thing they have done really well is separate sort of the organizational, um, like actual agenda from the stated sort of like media spin. And if you talk to like anybody except the those like six top land bank people uh, or the board, not, you know, the, no, the board has a lot of disillusioned people on it too, but all of their employees, I mean, they think they're doing God's work. Yeah. I mean, it's like I, I have friends, you know, because a lot of them are like my age who are like, you know, they're entry level employees. And I mean, they're they're like remarkably righteous. And you're just like, are you serious? Like, do you actually know what you're doing or have they kept you so far removed? And are you so far removed? They are that you don't understand what is actually happening here. I mean, it's it's really shocking. Um, I, I think like, yeah, it, it's, it's really insidious. It's well, and it. In the worst ways, too, because yeah. with the whole political appointment of these neighborhood stewards and the managers. Yeah. And it's weird. And there is not like a defined stated relationship between the two. I mean, like on paper, you know, land make is supposed to like serve the people. But in, in practice uh, and the, they'll like sometimes admit the sort of like unspoken, like binding agreement that they will not do anything that Duggan or his henchmen like uh, don't. Uh, enable or don't allow for right like they will they are carry they were created to carry out duggan's agenda in in ways that like uh barred city council and democratic process from um sort of like getting in the way oh absolutely yeah he wanted to put his guy his guys and gals in his Mm -hmm. his team in team team d and if i if i appointed these spots it's fine and then these people not all of them i'm sure some of them are fine but a lot of them are just it's a petty fiefdoms then becomes who the okay i'll buy this property i'll buy it well i'm not going to give it to you oh, it, because of x y and z it's 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 the, yeah. every fucking day it's happening and 
and I, it is the most like evil thing. I mean, like it, it, they cherry pick who the rules yes. apply to. I mean, it's like if you look at someone at the land bank the wrong way, all of a sudden you don't get to own your property. Are you joking me? I mean, like th- like this this organization is not sort of like ethical or responsible enough to to carry the charge of like controlling the land of the city. Well, they're it's, sneaky I mean, fucks too because now they can bypass the tax auction. Yeah, well, that's what they did for uh, the shipping yeah. container house, right? So the owner of the property said we could have it for a dollar. It had nine grand in back tax. He was like, all right, we'll just let it go to the auction, right? Like, because, you know, first round, it's back taxes. Second round, everything's yep. cleared and it starts at 500. I mean, this house this is like a janky bungalow. I mean, like, of all the housing <laughs> stock in Detroit, like, this is. This is one I would actually be on board with. Like, this does not need to be rehabbed, right? Like, we need to get rid of it. Yeah, and so, but they like pulled it for like the blight packet or whatever the blight bundle, which is which I don't even get how anybody even bids. I love this. Explain this, please. So it's this like thing they create where they essentially say, "All right, here's like a bunch of properties we secretly don't want individuals to have that are like in whatever stage of blight, and we're going to put them all into one bundle. We're going to pull them so they don't get to go to that second round." And we're gonna put them into this bundle and and force and if somebody wants even one of them, they have to bid on all of them together. Yep. And so then it's always these really, really rich out of town guys that like don't have enough of a clue of what they're doing. And so then they'll like buy it. It's like a million dollars. And then there's all these like um uh like reverter clauses built in where it's like, all right, you have to have this shit up to code within six months or something. And you know, they don't generally apply it unless they they have an agenda, right? And then they're like, Oh, so it's been six months and you still have at least one blighted property, so we take everything back. Yep. Just and, like that. I mean it's 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 and then now it belongs to the land bank, not the city. I mean, it's it's very it's. I am not a conspiracy theorist. It's not like, a conspiracy. I come from a family yeah. of government workers. I am like a a true believer in civic service and like those employed to do so. But this city, it is, it's it is so disturbing. It's 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 terrible, and I want to know where the fucking free press and Detroit News. I know. I know. I, I, you know what? You don't have to suck Dugan's dick all the time, every day. He's got enough people to suck his dick. You could actually, I don't know, report news. <laughs> this would be good. Like somebody, how have they not done? It's everywhere. Well, I think it fits into this. Don't say bad things about Detroit Fuck like yeah, philosophy is. because yeah. you know it's gonna like. I think everybody has this fear that whatever cult sort of, of positivity is what I've been calling it. Yeah, it's, I mean it is. It totally is. Fucking cult of positivity. You no know, one can speak ill yeah. of like like nobody can call bullshit when it's bullshit because if you're just we do, being negative, Jeremy, we're like, gonna oh scare God. all the rich people away. You know, <laughs> no. It's like a very real thing. And I, I'm, I'm just, it sucks to like only be in it for the right reasons and to have like your everyday be made so miserable by like just the, like the corruption. Yeah. I Well, and I will tell you, I got into it at the land bank and I pussy out, man. I did. I tapped out, you know, I had a, as have countless individuals. I, I had other lawsuits from dumb mistakes I made and I had five years of that. And in that, that, that process just wore me out. So when it started again with them and they started getting dirty and sneaky and mm-hmm. they just wore me out till and i hate to say it cuz it really is a bad reflection of my character but they just wore me out that's they, their strategy i mean did. like the way that they is i always i like heard the on it was a year ago but the 4th of july you know npr plays the like declaration of independence <laughs> and i was just filled with such like <laughs> race cuz <laughs> it's like this is why this country was founded to get away yes. from this bullshit yeah. where you've got like the regulatory entity that's like what's that there's like a line in it that where it's like 
the government is like intentionally exhausting the people from being able to like be like active participants in their country. You know, they are not clear about meetings. I mean, like there we had this big council district meeting that they didn't have it on their website. They refused to like confirm if it was happening or not until the day of. Yeah. And there was like no citizens in the room. Right. And, like wish. I go there yeah. and I'm just like. <laughs> and the, but it's all like city lackeys right and like it, it's 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 totally disgusting and they they they're just strategies to completely exhaust you of all your resources the city that's you know the government that's supposed to be like creating more resources for the people to like like i don't know why i want to help itself right like it's it has lost its way well and i can't figure out what what the end goal is because i can't see any way it works too like i know there's probably like in your case north end some developer wants that land for something, right? Maybe we've FOIA'd them for it, yeah. and there's nothing uh, unless they're breaking the law. Yeah, they're and, they're breaking. Oh, the law. I know they are. Yeah. We know they are. There's somebody. They don't even return. They don't even show my emails where I literally put specific wording in that I like know will be covered by the FOIA request. Don't come back to me. That's amazing that you did that. And See? it's like. <laughs> Oh, really? I'm pretty sure like that is illegal. Like that's like a federal offense. Oh, yeah. You can't do this. It's it's, it's so it's so inept and in corrupt on multiple levels. I don't know how much longer it can go on. Um, and what I'm amazed too is you really don't give a fuck, man. You post all you post this shit on your page. That's how I was like, man. Well, and I get punished for it too. That's like what's even worse. I mean. God, I mean, I hate when I say this because I sound like such a crazy person because to believe what I'm saying sounds so much like harder than the reality. But like they don't live here. They don't know. Well, <laughs> right. <laughs> but you I mean, like these in, like these city officials, they have they like put, you know, they have like your pages followed. I mean, I know this. And like you can even look at the Urban Ag like Facebook group. There are like uh, People in the like in the group that are there strictly to like report back to the city. I mean, I, I mean the the timing of like random punishments that are like served and speaking ill of the powers that be. Uh, it it is it is it is impossible to not be like you know directly connected, and that's what they do, right? And I actually just heard from my I'm not going to say any names. Yeah, but don't do that. A yeah. friend of mine's room. Nope, not somebody whom I know. Uh, it, who works at the land bank told another good friend of mine that one of the reasons that they denied one of our requests for land is because apparently I was like at a table for dinner and I said something mean about the land bank. Oh no, Tyson. And it's just like, hey, not something mean. I mean, but it, it is, I mean like this is not how government can work. Yeah. Right. I mean like, and I get that the sort of rationale, I mean, it's very dictatorshipy. Oh yeah. It's authoritarian. It just, all it's, which I understand to some degree. I mean, if you look at like successful rebellions and, 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 you know, these, these real sort of quasi grassroots, you know, uprisings, um, that are sort of like fighting the system and, and the land bank in many ways is trying to fight an existing system too. you know, they, they only exist under these dictatorship uh, sort of like settings where any dissent is, is like brutally punished because like you cannot allow things to get out of hand when you have such limited resources and such a sort of like uh, small, uh, it doesn't work unless everybody's on board and yeah. you have to, and like dissent spreads and limited time too. I think yep. that's time, I'm hoping anyway, I hope their time's coming in. They know it's not going to go on forever. They have a period yeah. of time to steal and it's over. And so like part of me is like, all right, I get like kind of why you're doing that. And I mean, I, you know, 
I'm, I'm voting for Hillary Clinton. Like I understand <laughs> like, you know, yeah. a means to justify an ends for the good of the people. Yeah. You're not, you're not some crazy guy. You, you, I am not. You can make bad, you can make the best bad decision you can make. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. And so like being even of that, like philosophy, I, uh, I am like appalled by the land bank. You know, I like, I would not vote for Bernie. Okay. I would have used the Democratic nominee. Yes. And I would not vote. For, okay. Yeah point is like i am not this bleeding heart liberal that is like you know sanders or bust yeah. like uh you're you pragmatic know, i am i really am i understand yeah. but like what they do goes beyond what is justifiable and i think like everybody needs to be like riding in the streets i i don't understand so you think and it is a little bit of a cliche and it was, it's more of that but we, we're fucking blowing people's heads off for a two percent tax on tea all right and now they're literally stealing old people which by the way this is something that really gets me they're always talking about the minority and women and all that and they're fucking stealing property from old black mostly women by the way Mm -hmm. because the men don't live that long in the city who don't have family to take care of them a lot of them aren't sophisticated enough to even know what's going on and then they get up and parrot about inclusivity and all and you're just literally stealing from the most vulnerable members of our city. Well, that's why they're doing it, right? I mean, they have like, these like total BS targeted programs that they will not shut up about bragging about that aren't actually accessible to anybody, right? And they like they, nobody's really qualified, but you know, they do that. It's it's this like preemptive strike to like to combat any potential criticism. Yeah, you know, I mean, they're actually very strategic. Um, There's no, they're smart. There's no. They I, are. I'm not going to even say that they're not smart. This is a genius campaign they're running to because mm-hmm. they're, they're kicking everybody's ass. Frankly, yeah, it's really unfortunate. Oh, I did. Um, <laughs> that that whole tax auction thing that 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 really gets me going. Uh, what do you? obviously don't give away any particular strategy that's going to help these fuckers win <laughs> but how do you how do you think we could um how can how can we beat them i mean it's literally you know they are the biggest rule breakers i mean really just following their policies because they're not going to put anything directly in writing that is like you know they're how do i put this what they put in writing is at least somewhat reasonable right and but they never it's never like applied in the right ways but like there's they there are existing like pathways to things you just have to sort of like really just go over the top and blow them out of the water and it's like i have done every single thing correctly in accordance with every single thing you have said uh, and like there you cannot invent a reason to not do this like if you are not following through on your end it is because you are all liars and like nothing that you actually say is true yeah right and i think that's the only way to sort of do it um and to find more examples in the number of people that are just furious and being bullied and harassed by the land bank right now is is it's enormous but they're also really good at segregating those people from each other yeah. right um i mean they're really good at uh, like creating and sort of like uh encouraging infighting you know like if people are like the lower and middle class fight each other and not like the upper class not that i i do not dislike rich people by the way yeah but like my point is you know they're really good at like redirecting um and i think that we just need to sort of get on board and realize that like this is something everybody is universally pissed about and um you know at the end of the day like we control the government and uh that we have a city charter 
that like clearly defines that the government is supposed to serve the people in transparent and ethical ways and that if they are in violation of that charter like that is impeachment i think that's like how that works yeah well i'm 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 worried that i'm worried about the state too and i'm not sure the state because i mean dugan's their guy right uh, mm-hmm. and i don't and the feds move so slowly i did have an idea what's that it's one idea right bankrupt if we made the land bank follow their own rules i think we would bankrupt and or kill it with paper right if somebody and if you're listening if you can do this mm-hmm. reach out tyson figured to fuck out an app where you it would pull from public records kind of like the why don't we own this thing maybe they can do it have a filter and you can go by and take a picture and it would tell you if it was land bank owned property and you would take pictures and it uh for uh blight violations and then the like prop- the, the people's like blight violations the people's court yeah, yeah we 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 take their rules mm-hmm. it's an app anybody can do it we democratize it Android, iPhone, whatever, right? At least most people have access to a mobile device, right? Mm-hmm. Anybody can do this. Maybe we can even incentivize it with donations some way to, to encourage people to get out, make it capitalistic of sort. They take pictures, they document these things. Well, and so this exists already, right? It's through like like Blexting, right? It's which is this it's it sort of like was created in conjunction Kinda. with why don't we own this? But like the 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 infrastructure exists. The problem is the government has the data. Yes. Right. And so like they know that people are like reporting the shit out of them. Uh and like like the issues that the people People have are like with what they're doing and the properties like the way that they're handling their property not the way that people are handling the property um it's just a matter of getting access to that and so here's actually what's interesting about this mobile technology and you know the land bank has like an app where they are doing most of their things and i'm like almost certain this is how they're getting around like transparency is is they're either pretending not to understand the technology well enough to produce that content in something like yeah, a FOIA. Right. Yeah. Right. Or they're just actively not. Um, but I, you know, they all have it. I've seen them using it. Like this, this is how they like communicate and talk about property. And it does not require like email addresses. Right. It's, it's, it's very clever. Um, and so it's just a matter of figuring out how to get access to all of that information and having an independent source be given like free reign to actually collect it. Well, I say we just free the fucking thing. Re- well, if we have to redo the work, we redo the work and then we directly target it towards the land bank's destruction. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Now, I'm not the technical guy on that, but um, a lot a lot of fights, a lot, I, I was on both sides of this fight. A lot of court fights end because of resources mm-hmm. and or negative publicity. And the longer you can drag it out and the more expensive you can make it be and the nastier you can make it, the more likely you are to win. Well, and so that is like, that's sort of our uh, last case scenario strategy. Like there, we have not actually gone public in like a really, really dedicated way about this issue. Um, you might notice that a majority of like my ill speakings are made as comments to things, not as direct posts. That's yes, true. Yeah. Um, we have, you know, we have had a ton of press that have approached us about the issue and they, they always want to like do big stories on it. And we have always said, we're going to wait, 
you know, and we, you know, can we count on you when we want to go? Like when we really want to just do a massive campaign on this, when we've, you know, when we have exhausted every other option, because at the end of the day, like I'm not trying to start the city of money and like overwhelm anybody that is like at yeah. least attempting to follow do your own things. rules. Quit being so right. Filthy. <laughs> yeah. So that is kind of like our last case scenario is to just go gangbusters um, and like flood them with like more crap than they can handle. Uh, and I think it would be shockingly easy to like break that system. Yeah, I think it is a glass. It's a glass house, especially if media would actually do their fucking do- job. Has I don't. I'm not going to ask that question on there. Remind me to ask you a particular question. Okay. I don't. I don't want to do that because I can. I can maybe help out on that. So, um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna pivot here, and this is this is yep. gonna, this is going to be a hard pivot because we've been talking about it for a long time, and I appreciate that. And thank you for being so. Um, transparent with that i really appreciate it something's been been driving me crazy so part of what you do though with the michigan what do you call it muffy muffy there you go i love it muffy um is education too right <laughs> part of our goal yeah. is education education yeah. but you actually have a background in this education it's something i didn't know about i was, I was googling you last night and i came across <clears throat> I mean, I wrote it down. Connecting the hemispheres, right? Oh, my like my class I taught. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was so super cool. Yeah. Okay. How have you applied? Well, first, briefly describe that. Um, it was just like a, a high school neuroscience course in the the final semester that I taught it. I sort of like revamped all of the um, uh, course or the curriculum towards the student led production of educational content. And so instead of like a student's assignment being to like create something that like I graded, uh, you know, right or wrong, it was, all right, you, I'm going to teach you a bunch of stuff. And now you're going to like, your assignment is to um, like re, how do I put it? Like reconfigure that content, like in some sort of interactive uh, medium that is accessible online. Um, and so, you know, and like each students would have like parts, each student project would be sort of like part of this like larger thing that would get created. Um, I think our, like the final thing was like all student, like the final semester project was everybody took like a really, you know, interesting, uh, phenomena that's um, at least somewhat related to neuroscience and they had to do this like big like interactive Prezi presentation on it and it's essentially just like a really informative like interactive video it was like super cool mm. yeah it was like for some students it was maybe a little too progressive They're, like, yeah it's, it's pretty out what there you were asking me for <laughs> yeah, i need four boxes and one the circle i don't i don't yeah. know what to do <laughs> have you applied any of that to the farming aspect not as much to be honest um i don't know i mean like sort of the strategy with the nonprofit is it's changed a lot over yeah. time um like I had a lot of energy back then, you know, you a lot of energy like, now. I'm going to do all these things and it's going to be so great. And now I'm just like, I'm going to do what I know what is working and I'm going to do it myself because getting somebody else to do it is too complicated. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, probably in like subtle ways that I'm not thinking of in the moment, but, uh, yeah. Okay. That I just wanted to check really on that. Cool I thought it was really answer. cool. And I, and the, by the way, the link is in the show notes, folks. It's a very interesting way. It looks like a pretty cool experiment in education. And I don't know. 
I was I was interested on. I didn't pass judgment one way or another. I, was I that found the, like the Ted thing. Yeah, that yeah. Was, like, the worst talk I gave in my entire life. That was okay. That I was okay. Was supposed to write the whole speech the night before, and I had talked uh, to Mike. Oh, yeah, I was supposed to write the whole thing the night before because I. Crying procrastinator, and I just like had this like, total showdown with my ex that night. I, mean, oh, I had no. one hour of sleep. I no. was just sobbing. I actually tried to cancel. That's like I terrible. called, and I was like, "I'm not coming." And this this woman is like, "You better get your ass." <laughs> <laughs> and so I like fuck your heart and your feelings. If you're not here, I'm gonna eat your. I mean, it was serious. she was very intimidating. Uh, okay, she just got the shit out of me. And so I I remember I walked on stage literally not having a clue what I was gonna say, and I just started talking. Dude, I couldn't. I couldn't tell. I mean, it was. It's, yeah. I like. Yeah, I think I, I like ended ten minutes earlier than I was supposed to. Yeah, it was it was rough. It, well, I've never even watched. I refuse to watch it. You I, refuse like, to well, watch I don't it? want to be brought back to that. Uh, yeah, that, no, like, that sounds place. like that's, <laughs> that sounds like a rough night. It's not that bad. It's in the show notes. Um, <laughs> def, definitely go go check it out. Um, something I wanted to circle back on. Um, Actually, I like butchered the quote that I like tried to say in the beginning of it too. Yeah, I, you, you know, could remember exactly like, how to say it, but you know, sometimes that that quite frankly, it's hard getting up in front of talking talking to people, and you do a shit ton of work too. So, <laughs> um, so your friend Gene Gene Henry said, ask him about his entrepreneurial efforts in middle school. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Uh, <laughs> Jean is, uh, she used to run the Jefferson Market out in Ann Arbor, which was a really cool like market, you know, in a, uh, it was one of those like grandfathered in commercial spaces that would like never exist today. Uh, right across the street from like a, like a elementary school in Ann Arbor that was on my way walking to school, like my middle school. Um, and I, uh, I used to like go in there and I just buy like shitloads of candy and gum, you know, like more so than any kid should ever be doing. <laughs> and I was, uh, essentially I had uh, a store out of my locker. Um, and like during the passing times I was just selling the shit out of it to like the other students. And it was like extremely lucrative. Um, I got shut down by the school. It was super lame. But uh, yeah, I love how the school just crushes that. It well, really did. They, it was, I'm glad I asked this question because it's a lead into my next question. Yeah. And um, I, you walk because I've been following you for a while. I, I watch. Right. You walk a fine line. And I don't know if this is an accurate way to describe it. I'm sure you'll correct me. If I'm not between capitalism and a more refined social justice. When I say more refined, a lot of social justice, I think you can group in the politically correct category and just mark it as uh, it was labeled incorrectly, right? Mm -hmm. But you, you seem to to walk a fine line. You're definitely a capitalist, right? And, and we talked a little bit before the podcast is you're not dissolute. You know all the bad things about it, too. So you're not like, uh, you know, an apologist for it. But you also have a lot of interest in social justice. Obviously, this this food desert disconnect and is one of it but it's a fine line to walk and i see a lot of interaction um on on your fan base and a lot of millennials Between really differently yeah, minded people they're they're yeah. accused of being communist socialist mm. anti-american all that and here's a, a fine example where that is obviously not true, even though you would vote for Bernie if he was a Democratic nominee, right? Uh, not because, of, yeah. Did I throw enough narratives in there to really scramble that fucking thing up? <laughs> so, I mean, like, I, I actually, I think capitalism is a good system. I think that um, it allows for um, 
like the most just world. Um, I think that this it as a system is often abused um, and sort of exploited uh, by people and interests that, you know, sometimes I have like a hard time perspective taking with like where some of them come from. But, um, you know, it, it is the framework like that this country runs on. It's the framework through which I understand the world and my like understanding of like how to be a good citizen is like heavily, you know, it, it is it's centered on that. Right. It's. Like there is no justice without capitalism yeah. in my head. Um, and so, but I'm like also firmly like interested in like making a better world and Absolutely. like pay obviously, it forward, right? right? You're, you're committing your life to quite frankly, some shit you don't have to deal with if you didn't want Tell to. Tell me about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think a lot of it comes from, I mean, so like my uh, parents, uh, it's military family. My mom was in for 20 years. I'm not sure how long my dad was in, but, um, Navy army, what, uh, army, army. Yeah. Okay. Navy um, brat here. So I wish I knew more things about, <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I, yeah, but I know that my mom ended it like her military career is a really high up something. And, you know, she's a, she's a really impressive woman. She like, you know, had a kid while she was in the military, like single mom, right? Like in a master's degree program in the art, like all these things. Half the time she was like, she being shipped overseas. Um, and she, you know, she spent her life just in uh, civic service. She's like a lifelong uh, government employee as well. Um, it's what she does currently. Uh, her like most recent job was actually, I don't know if I'm allowed to like talk about that. It's something important. That yeah, don't like, say it then. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to get you in trouble. Um, and then my dad is, uh, you know, he, when I was a kid, was like living in a trailer park in Texas with uh, three kids. So I alternated back and forth between Ann Arbor and Texas. Um, that sounds and, fun. Uh, it was it was a thing, <laughs> and uh, you know, over the course of about a decade, he went from being a semi trailer truck driver um, with with no money. I mean, just you know, very it very trailer trash. That was our life. I mean, it, there's a lot of beauty in trailer trash, but uh, yeah, there was a lot of problems too. Uh, anyways, he went from like that to. Uh, starting what are now like two extremely successful and like lucrative businesses um, that, you know, both multi-million dollar companies. And uh, I think that's sort of like a combination, like a merging of the two of just like, um, and my dad is also, you know, he's not simply like a money hungry, like capitalist. I mean, he's like a really great guy. Although if you look at my Facebook right now, he's sort of being like ridiculous. He, hey, I think parents just do that, right? He's, I, he's, he's going through some shit, but uh, I mean, he's also, you know, he taught me a lot about how to make really meaningful change in people's lives. Uh, not organizationally but like on the individual level um and i think just sort of the the like values between my parents and my aunt is like a you know lifelong um like educator working in like the toughest like conditions accessible to her um it's just like a sort of a combination of like what values i was brought up with um and like they've never seemed like contradictory to me and See, it's, i've always been the same way you live yeah. all over the world it, it's it's not one or the other it, to me it's just both you it's so Spend often your money how you, is the yeah. trade-off and it's not yeah false narrative you know there's there's plenty of those x or y mm-hmm. or we'll all die no not really <laughs> yeah you i can think, do x and y and we make you can do a little z on the side too and it'll be all right you know yeah, i mean exactly yeah and i think um it's something that is often uh, like this false narrative is really it's common among um like uh disenfranchised or poor resourced communities the idea that like success is is finite right yes. that like there isn't if one person is successful it means 
that two aren't going to be. And so anytime that sort of like ideology makes it very easy to demonize and hate uh, anybody that is like uh, in a higher like socioeconomic bracket than you um, and and really just sort of like uh, attack anybody that seems to be on their way there. Um, it, it's interesting. You know, I, I actually like it's something I really struggle with. Like I, I, I it seems so clear to me. And then sometimes I feel like I'm speaking a foreign language with people or it's like, why are you so angry at this one person who for making money yes. and wanting to do urban ag. I mean, I'm not that person. I'm poor as fuck. Don't get me wrong, but like I'm not mad at I think it's great, right? Like you chose I, it. it's wonderful that we have like a wide diversity of like participants in this industry without them. Uh like we have less relevance because especially in the city like Detroit and like with a government like the Duggan administration, they're not listening to us, right? Because we are not speaking their language, but these guys are. And, you know, I'm trying, but like there you guys aren't even like attempting, right? Like you, there's no sort of like this is all, of course, generalizations, but there there is a profound lack of sort of like perspective taking. And I think just sort of um, respecting other people's like uh, uh, like ideologies and like economic worldviews. I think I would take it a step further for Detroit. I'd almost say um, kind of like in the suburbs, it's a cult of positivity in Detroit. It's like a cult of victimhood, like mm. and not every community and not every Detroiter. It seems, seems to be in pockets, but uh, where people have been given a lot of reasons to be angry yeah, in the city of Detroit. Just, and it has become just like the cultural norm to, to, to be wronged. And that is the default assumption because I think people are so used to just being totally screwed over that i mean it's just like what you see is happening i think regardless of the circumstances because like a lot of those injustices have never been and likely never will be corrected no, and so people are just they're stuck right and i think that's what happens to people right like justice is supposed to be served and like when it isn't you just end up like stagnant in these like weird unhappy places and it's it's really just terrible but like that is like a situation that is happening yeah, and that's one thing i don't know how to like how how can we affect this culture into i maybe you can't change the detroit government but certainly you can change your life for the better and and that i don't know i tell you what helped me is farming mm-hmm. farming if you farm you can't help but think about and plan for the future the two are connected yeah. And the more you do it, the more you realize how connected they are. Far- I mean, farming is literally all about equity. Like it's like reaping what you sow. I mean, it, it's a great platform for building like life frameworks. Right. And I think it's also really empowering on a just really physical level. I mean, the like physical act of like changing the world around you. I mean, like making changes in your physical environment is probably the most like pro personal agency yes. like self-determination thing in the world right? you got a plan like, you got a water did that shit things don't go right you mm-hmm. gotta come up with new plans then what, yeah. what am i doing next year wait what if i plant this tree what what if i want to get away from watering and i want to try this hugo culture and all at boom and then you, now you're thinking in quarter of a century instead of a quarter of a year it's kind of like I, we do all these high school sports not because they're like we're whatever like 
like directly relevant to anything in life but because of all of these sort of like tangential qualities they 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 build in people right i mean like farming is that yes we should be putting this as like school programming it's economic too mm-hmm. seed is a deposit you take care of your deposit it comes time for the yield you don't eat your your seed crop That's, it's a you need weirdly to reinvest. like it a works straightforward platform that applies across domains yeah, yeah it just works so well it will for me for me it's helped a lot um something it, and I have no idea how this could be done, but something that just pisses me off to no end. And I'm going to go on a little education rant here. Reading, math, writing, all very important things, right? Mm-hmm. Food's pretty fucking important. I do not understand how there is absolutely zero education about food, nutrition, farming, where it comes from. You get the government period, uh, uh, pyramid, which I think they're still uh pushing yeah which is inaccurate and and not scientific at all and i think this is one of the things that leads to this food disconnect and that if for if you're not growing vegetables in the backyard like grandma used to or grandpa used to and you're not being taught it and you live pretty much anywhere then you end up where you're not even eating berries off a tree Mm -hmm. how do we fix that it's i think a lot of it is a pro you know, like food is really interesting from like a biological perspective, like nutrition as a field is really in its infancy. I mean, there is so much that is not understood. And I think anytime um, that like there seems to be sort of like some concrete thing we know, it's like turns out to be inaccurate. I mean, uh, like the guy, the Soylent guy, I think is like, <laughs> just, whom I love, by the yeah. way, I like him all about Soylent, but I mean, like he's he's changing the game. It's like, oh, it turns out actually we don't like need these things. And I mean, if you look at like humans throughout the history of like like man, it's we have like not been following any sort of dietary guidelines. Yeah, right? no. Just if can I eat it? Will it kill me? Right. Okay. It's, yes. It's, doing this. Right. It, and it's so like complex. And I think like today it's very it like varies by the it's it's complicated. And there has not been like very clear sort of like um, frameworks established. Like we don't even actually know what our needs are. I mean, like eight cups of water a day. Like, are you kidding me? Nobody, I go weeks without drinking water, which is like probably not a good thing, yeah. but it's like, <laughs> I think there is like a level of distrust and sort of disillusionment with like that. That is, and the government knows it too. I mean, like, and they're trying, but like it's the, the field. Yeah, they got is some corn so to new. sell, I think. <laughs> well, yeah, that's like another thing, but um, from it's like, like a good personal, for you have two more <laughs> well being standpoint, like I don't think the go- there, nothing is um, rock solid enough for them to really endorse, and so there's not that sort of subsequent like level of like funding and programming. I mean, you the, you said it yourself, like the food pyramid thing's a bust, and yeah. it's like they tried, and like look at what happened. Yeah, it didn't you know? work. I don't like, know if they tried that hard, but I, yeah. I like your positive attitude about it. <laughs> um, what do you think the future holds for Muffy? Uh, I, mean, I think it's going to be a really rough few years i i i'm pretty confident that uh we're gonna end up doing all the things that we want to do um i think it's going to be like challenging there's going to be a ton of headaches but i mean at the end of the day like our agenda is in line with the city's agenda they just don't understand that they like they just don't get it um i think they will get it eventually 
um like individuals get it but like the the sort of like the bodies the powers that be don't seem to understand um i think we'll we'll end up like winning our fight i think that uh we'll be able to sort of like show proof of concept for the 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 truly like urban ag agrihood the urban agrihood um model i think it's going to be um really just tremendously successful and uh be something that we start to see a whole lot more of um my my ultimate hope is that it will become like an industry standard in the uh urban like development toolkit um yeah i, I think so. i think we'll get there okay you are very busy you do a <laughs> lot of shit right so and you've earned it right your cranes 20 under 20 participated in um mcon 2016 presented at tedx i mean i could go i can go on i have and like on. a weirdly large yeah like, and, and how old are you now 27 27 very young man young man how do you structure your day <laughs> right this is something i've not figured out you haven't figured this okay all right um, i don't i really don't have it's not as like I have like a lot of it's sort of like wavish. Uh, I like in terms of like sleep. I mean, even food. I tend to be like really, really hyper productive. I mean, like this is within a week we're talking here. Like several days, balls to the wall, nonstop. Like I mean, things that like no person in the like the sane person should be doing. Like two to three hours, if any, sleep per night. Like not eating anything and just going crazy, and then just like completely crashing <laughs> and being like, I'm not going to any appointment. Fuck this. I'm sleeping. I'm, done. I'm playing video games. Um, it tends to <laughs> be just sort of like really e- extreme up and down. Yeah. Um, I also tend to like, I try and like keep like s- actual scheduled things to um, a minimum. Like I find that uh, when I like, it's weird. It's, it's hard to make like like uh, accurate but like strong statements about any of it because it's so sort of like fluid. But um, I didn't find that like I am my absolute most efficient at doing something when I when I like feel like doing it. And I know that sounds it's like such a millennial thing. To, like, nah, I don't think I'm so. not going to do it until I feel like doing it. But that's like really a philosophy. Like and it, it often means I'm like late on a ton of stuff. But it's but like when I do it, you know. I end up getting it done in like 10% of the time that it would have taken me otherwise. And the quality is a thousand percent better. And so I'm not a big fan of like forcing myself to like do things I don't feel like doing. Um, and fortunately just like a vast majority of the time, the things that are like really critical, uh, I, I somehow really feel like doing. I was so going to say you get a lot of shit done though. So it, it yeah. must work to enough of the time that you can be effective doing it. Cause you're not laying around doing nothing. So except for the days where I really am. Yeah. I mean like it really, it's it. Yeah. I just feel like guilty when people talk about like how hard I work. Cause I'm like, I, but some days I'm really not. I mean, yeah. some days you would like be appalled. <laughs> like I am like legit doing nothing. nothing. I am Mother playing Scott's league of all legends yeah. all day. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's the only way I know how to like make it work. <laughs> Do you have any favorite books, podcasts, or I haven't read a book in I don't know how long? Okay, but All right. uh, there is one. Uh, uh, what is it? Oh my god, what is it called? That's all right. How sh- I know the subtitle. It's uh, it's um, stories of personal triumph and neuroplasticity. How to make a good brain great? 
maybe. Okay. That might not be. The brain that changes itself. The brain that changes itself, colon, maybe semicolon. I don't remember which one it's supposed to be, but that uh, story. We'll let it slide. Story, uh, neuroplasticity and stories of personal triumph. Yeah, it's it's an excellent book. It like changed my whole worldview. Okay. Um. Uh, yeah, it's just about sort of very liberating book it just makes you feel like you have a lot of options um in terms of like specializing and getting good at shit um i i don't think i've actually ever listened to a podcast before okay what media do you consume if you don't read and you don't listen to a podcast um, i listen to a lot of music all right uh, what and, music do you listen to uh it depends on like what i'm doing so you know if it's like labor stuff it's probably like some just ridiculous pandora station like <laughs> like uh, what do they call it like see i podcast dirty farm. dubstep whatever or something dirty dubstep. <laughs> like just something like total like if I, my headphones came out i'd be yeah. embarrassed it's, it's like that's not me that's music. something I, I hit the button when i was uh yeah but like if i'm doing like workers so i don't know it's uh i mean my like music that i like Tends to be, I mean, like Lauren Hill and Ani DeFranco are like my my like two. I have a t- Ani DeFranco tattoo for Christ's sake. I am like really just there with her. She's brilliant. Ride I mean, or die. she just fucking says shit, and like Ride you're just die. like, oh my god, yeah. that was just profound. I don't even know if I like the sound of it, the music. It just I feel like I'm always like I'm so not smart, but this lady is. So I'm gonna keep listening to her. Mm. Um, and then, I, I mean, most of my, like, actual, like, information that I consume comes from Facebook or just really uh, intense, like, instructionals online. Like, I've one thing I think we've done really well with the nonprofit, uh, something I will take credit for doing well, is um, being able to manage a lot of different, like, technology and platforms uh, without having any training in it, but you know, just religiously following online tutorials. Um, I mean, I do a pretty large amount of like 3d rendering a just absurd amounts of Excel. Uh, it's greatest program ever made. Um, you know, graphic design. I'm sure there's like other, pro- I feel like there's always 20 programs open on my computer mm. and it's like, I want this to happen, so I'm just going to Google search it until I know how to do this. Generation software, right? Yeah, what's that? <laughs> that's, what, that's what I'm calling you guys. They call them millennials. It's not right. I oh, mean, generation software? Generation software. Yeah. We're going to fix a lot of problems with better software. It's Yeah, the DIY like mindset is yeah. really nice. <laughs> These kids are smart. They're driven. They're hardworking. And they have a language that, that a lot of people that it's are unlimited older. unlimited and yes. always accessible. Mm-hmm. Worldwide, too. It's just going to apply everywhere. It's actually, I think it's pretty exciting. People are like down today about are it. going to be so flipping smart. It's yes. not even fair. I mean, it's just like so unfair. I yeah. mean, their video games are going to be living better. It's, ugh. I mean, we wouldn't have it any other way, right? We want it better for for every generation. I just want right? to stick myself in a like time capsule and freeze <laughs> in, like twenty years from now. Yeah, and go have for it. the like the Tron video game. Did you ever play the original Nintendo? No, no I mean I used you'll never to. understand the struggle then. That's I but I played it. I had it. <laughs> you so had it? I mean okay. I you know I'm I got like a Super Nintendo for Christmas and it was the happiest day of my life. And I got N sixty four and it was like Golden happier than I knew how I could be. I, I never stopped. That's the only game I ever played on that thing was GoldenEye 007 I on the sixty four. You hate that I, game? Dog, or was it Super Mario or um um uh Super Smash Brothers? Okay. That is every I still play that <laughs> I still time. play that one today. Yeah. <laughs> Um, do you, this is my last question for you. Um, do you have any goals or do you any goal setting? 
Mm-hmm. Um, okay, because you're driven, obviously, and you you want to achieve things. So I'm just curious how, um, <laughs> how you do it. I mean, I tend to not be that good at like achieving my sort of like direct goals. I think I get like really anxious and like stressed out about them, and it undermines my ability to achieve them. But I'm really good at like doing the like thing I'm not supposed to be doing. <laughs> That's like how Muffy was started, right? I mean, like, there's, I have not graduated college. Yeah, still because I instead of doing homework, I was like, oh, well, I'm just going to do this instead. I think it's just some weird sort of like coping mechanism <laughs> with like a pending anxiety disorder where I am really good at like avoiding things yeah. that make me feel <laughs> shitty. Um, but yeah, I think like my personal like goals, I mean, it's just this full implementation of this uh, development plan for the farm. But, um, you know, ultimately I want to like get back into research uh, and look at um how sort of like perceptions of structural malleability in the physical world like interact with our perceptions of like social malleability um just sort of building off of some pre-existing work from a lab that i had uh been participating in it's like carol dweck's now popularized like growth mindset uh stuff it's Sometimes I can't deal with like the the public version because it's yeah. very watered down and like uh, it's like what did you do? <laughs> um, but I mean the the initial sort of like framework is really um, I think promising and has a uh, ample like room for expansion. So I'd like to sort of look at like how volunteers and and act physical acts like labor, especially manual labor, um, sort of directly works to empower people like socially and politically. I would agree. So the someday, harder you work. It's like a whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. The more dangerous you are. They don't want you working hard. They want you at home collecting mm-hmm. your your section eight paycheck, getting you, you know, all that's just to be a sedated yeah. sheep. I know. Move. <laughs> get out and move. People who know they're capable are like yes. Yeah. They get yeah. a lot of Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that's I don't that I don't I agree with that. Ah man, I I had a really good time having you on. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to talk about? Uh, yeah. So I guess the one last thing I'll throw yeah. out there that's kind of, it's sort of an interesting facet to the nonprofit is, um, you know, we are currently like 85% funded through just straight up winning Facebook contests. Uh, like we found this like niche, uh, that was really accessible, especially for like younger people, people that are like social media, the generation social media, um, where like corporate social responsibility initiatives are really like undergoing this big paradigm shift from like private behind closed door, like, you know, this, you know, this application is going to give us our best photo outcome, you know, and like, that's how you get funding and, uh, bigger like corporations, only funding really safe nonprofits like that are bigger and like already well-funded towards this sort of like crowd favorite model that tends to be positioned as like social media, public voting contests. Um, and that's sort of like how we have, uh, carved out our ability to like survive and do things is just like through the number of those available. And then just, you know, really leveraging our networks as a bunch of 20 year olds, um, and winning the shit out of them. Yeah. Well, so what do you want to do? You want to go to the Facebook page? Um, oh, yeah. I mean, so it wasn't necessarily a plug to do no, that. No, dude, for I want to. But dude, we please, need you. Yeah. you know, of course, follow us on Facebook. I haven't been that active in a few weeks. But, um, you know, it's the best way to sort of stay informed about what the nonprofit's doing. Um, and then when we are asking you to like take 20 seconds of your day and like vote for something, it is, it is the lifeblood of the nonprofit. So please consider doing that. And if you're like trying to fund your own nonprofit, it's something you should look into doing. Um, 
because like really really a good uh like sort of um channel for like the little guy to like get shit done i think this um continued uh, democratization of technology and software is going to change the game yeah it's hard to imagine sometimes but it could it could kill banking it, it could kill a lot of things as we know it i mean there's I still be banking is, you know but yeah <laughs> how, how we finance things how we finance houses all of that all right folks mm-hmm. facebook.com forward slash michigan urban farming initiative if they want to make a donation direct donation cash donation they can do that on the yeah you can uh go through paypal through the website so yep. there's like a donate uh, as any good nonprofit has page on the website and then um you know you can always mail us some things at our uh, physical location at 7432 brush street detroit michigan 48202 and he always needs volunteers so if you don't have money so okay good folks if you're not here, you can go on and vote and participate. If you have money and you don't have time, you can go to the website, org. You can actually donate. You can mail him a check at the address he just said. Or you, you can, can get your ass down there, move your body, and um, start making some changes. Yep. Every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the same location as the uh, mailing address. Yep. So there you go. You can absolutely do it. And if you're as pissed about this land bank bullshit as I am, maybe you can look at this as kind of like a proxy war, right? Maybe you're kind of like me and you got war out and you can't fight it, <laughs> but um, we can help him fight it too because this is a nasty fight. It's not going to go well. So if please you would, do. Yes, <laughs> do it. Get involved. Thank you, Tyson. I really appreciate your time. I know you're really busy and um, I had a great time. So thanks for having me. All right, everybody. Tyson Gersh. That's M-I-U-F-I.org, facebook.com forward slash Tyson Gersh or Facebook.com forward slash Michigan Urban Farming Initiative on Twitter too and Instagram. Look it all up. All this stuff will be in the show notes. And if you enjoy and find this podcast helpful, rate it. Help me out. Really appreciate it on iTunes. And I want to say thank you to the 27 people who have. That really means a lot. And it's one of those things that really helps with iTunes. Also, if you wouldn't mind giving a like and sharing i would really appreciate if you have any comments or suggestions go to renegadedetroit.com if you're interested in attending any of the local meetings go to meetup.com forward slash renegade detroit investors or facebook.com forward slash detroit investment club hit me up on twitter and instagram at jeremy burgess i'm on snapchat at jeremy a burgess somebody beat me to it of course go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash detroit wholesalers and as i wrap up this podcast i do I know I do it every week. Take a moment to encourage you to take the steps you need to become financially independent. I know there are lots of distractions, mistakes, poisonous people, bad habits. I've done all this shit, man. But pick some goals, start, stick with it, don't give up, and do something every day that gets you closer, even if it's one step, all right? And I really appreciate you guys listening. I know you could be doing other things. And until the next podcast, crush it.